Chip Chip Cheerio, and welcome to another rousing edition of the Disenfranchised Podcast. We are that podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after their first film. My name is Stephen Foxworthy, and I am one of your hosts. And, uh, oh, uh, that, that guy over there who's uh, perfecting his flying machine off the edge of the school building, well, that's my co-host, Brett Wright. Ahoy, Brett. The game is afoot, Stephen. Oh, oh, is it really? I was expecting more of an arm or perhaps a leg, but a foot, you say? I had not expected. Yeah, he's got some toes. Elementary, my dear Brett, elementary. Um, we are uh, back, of course, to talk about uh, what I think is, is quite a fun movie that I uh, vaguely remember from my childhood and I'm really glad to have gotten to revisit. Brett, what movie are we talking about this week? Uh, we're talking about a movie I didn't know existed. <laughs> young Sherlock Holmes. 1985's Young Sherlock Holmes, directed by Barry Levinson, written by Christopher Columbus. Not, oh, I'm sorry, Chris Columbus, sorry. Uh, and starring Nicholas Rowe, Alan Cox, Sophie Ward, Anthony Higgins, Susan Fleetwood, Freddie Jones, Nigel Stock, Roger Ashton Griffiths, Earl Rhodes and Brian Oulton. Oh, and of course, Patrick Newell. I don't want to forget Patrick Newell. Um, wow, what a fun movie this was. Or I thought so anyway. I don't I, I don't want to speak for you, of course. No, I mean sure. It's a fun time. <laughs> and your 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 uh, your commitment there is overwhelming, sir. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mostly fell pretty middle of the road on this movie, I'll be honest. So, you know, that tracks. That seems to be uh, pretty par for the course for uh, for our opinions on films of late. Uh, there was a there was a whole run there where we were like dead on the money. We had exactly the same like ratings of all these films. Kind of thought the same thing, but there's been some dissent among the ranks of late. A little bit. I That's still, okay. Uh, that, that makes I still for don't forgive record. you for Power Rangers. I still That's don't okay. forgive you for that one. Uh, I, it, it, whatever it is, it's it's bringing in a lot of listeners, man. Because we've that that's been one of our more popular recent episodes. Which hey, this is pretty pretty okay to me. Yeah, I mean, if we agreed all the time, what sort of interesting podcast would that be? Exactly, two guys who have the exact same opinions on film, talking about the films they either love or hate. Boring. Yeah. But yeah, so we are talking about uh, young Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Brett, you had said that this is not a film that you had ever seen or even, in fact, knew existed. Um, did you have uh, what, what familiarity, I guess, would do you have with Sherlock Holmes, uh, the character uh, outside of this film, which you, I'm assuming, watched for the first time uh, within the last few days? I mean, I know Sherlock Holmes like everybody else knows Sherlock Holmes, right? Like Everybody knows who that is. Uh as ubiquitous as James Bond or other characters that everybody knows. Um, I would say maybe the number two most famous British character of all time. Right. After um, King Arthur and right ahead of Robin Hood. Maybe. maybe. Or maybe he's number three behind both of those. I don't know. Maybe. He's he's one of the more famous ones. Yeah. And I mean, I, I watched uh, I watched good old Benedict Cumberbatch play Sherlock. Sure. That was a good time. Everyone loves Bendy Straw Cumberbund. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I know. I just didn't know this movie was a thing. So okay. That's all, really. So so you're familiar with, with, have you read any of the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle stories? I have not. Okay. 
I also it, I also made the terrible decision of thinking the Will Ferrell uh, Holmes and Watson movie was going to be anything but pure garbage. Um, I remember you talking to me about that after you saw it. It's the first movie I've ever almost walked out of. Wow. I actually remember that movie made your top five worst films of all time list. It did. That we put together back for our old blog. We got five on it. Yeah. So that's a movie you really, really didn't like. Have you seen the Robert Downey Jr. version? Yeah, I, I have. I've seen the first one. Didn't see the sequel because it was fine. I, I just don't. This is my thing. He is, again, one of the top three most famous British characters of all time. Why do you go out of your way to cast an American in the role? Particularly when you have Jude Law right there, literally right there. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, it's the same reason they don't cast uh, people of color in roles they should be casting them in. It's just, you know, Hollywood hubris. I And I hate it so much i you know here's the thing rdj is a fine actor i would even say he's a he's a good actor um i i got kind of sick of him there for a while in in every role except iron man and even honestly there toward the end of his iron man run kind of got sick of him as iron man because they kept making him show up and stuff like he he shouldn't have been in spider-man um homecoming I didn't need that. I know why he's there, but I didn't need it. No, he's he's uh, taken over the role of Uncle Ben in the MCU, and I'm not really a fan of that. No, I think that ruins Spider-Man. I think that ruins Spider-Man and Iron Man as characters, quite frankly. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I, I I'm not here for it. Um, Sony, what the hell are you doing? And also Kevin Feige, what the hell are you doing? Making a shit ton of money, Stephen. I that's true. Yeah, of course. You know, we're just a couple of idiot podcasters with a with a complaint. I guess who cares? Who cares what we have to say about anything? <laughs> pretty much. That's that's pretty much how it goes. Absolutely. Um, I saw this movie in middle school. Uh, I think we were reading a Sherlock Holmes story in English class, and my teacher, I think, grew up or was like younger when this movie was coming out. See, I was what two when this movie came out, she was probably 10 years older than me. So she had probably seen this movie when she was like, and maybe my age at the time in middle school. And so she decided, Hey, let me bring in the young Sherlock Holmes and we can watch it uh, with the class. And I remember thinking it was really fun, uh, but I didn't remember much about it except for the scene with the the paste the 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 nightmare scene with the pastries that was the scene that for whatever reason just indelibly stuck in my brain and the cgi night which i remember thinking was really cool in middle school that they were able to do that in an 80s movie um but the pastry scene freak with the stop motion pastries gleefully shoving themselves into watson's face that freaked me out and here's the thing it's probably the least offensive, least scary of the um, uh, of the nightmare sequences. I don't know about that, but all right. I don't know, but it uh, it terrified me as a middle schooler. I remember thinking this is horror, like these things just like sprouting 
eyes and legs and hands and faces and just shoving themselves like lining up for their death and this boy like having to eat them while they're still alive i i'm getting shivers just thinking about it now like it freaked me out in middle school yeah i don't don't know maybe it's because i'm so desensitized to things like traditional scary things like skeletons sure like I don't know, anthropomorphic pastries coming to life and forcing you to eat them while they're still alive. That's way scarier than just some skeletons carving your name onto a gravestone. Sure. I I, I don't know. The the opening, I think the opening nightmare sequence might be among the most effective in the movie. And I think, honestly, probably the most well done of all of them uh, where the guy's getting attacked by the, um, first by the turkey and then by like all the stuff in his house that like magically comes to life and starts like tying him up and stuff. Oh my gosh. I think that that's, I think that's really effective and really does a lot to help set the tone for the movie personally, I think. Yeah. Mainly, mainly cause I, I mean, I know I didn't know this movie existed, so I didn't know what to expect. And then, you know, within the first five minutes, Turkey's coming to life and trying to attack this guy. Hell yeah. And I'm like, is this what this movie is? What? I mean, okay. no, but also yes. And also I'm here for it because it's great. Yeah. And I mean, the scene in his house giving off some Evil Dead 2 vibes. Very much. It, like it, if Evil Dead 2 was set in Ebenezer Scrooge's house from A Christmas Carol, yeah. that is what that scene is. Like 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Except it's all in his head because nightmares. Right. Hallucinations, Hallucinations actually, I should, to be to be clear hallucinations from poison from poison poison hallucinations if you will um i have read very few of the sherlock holmes stories so i am not what you would call a sherlock holmes groupie or a fan even um but this movie kind of goes out of its way to ensure that sherlock holmes fans will not be pissed off no at the beginning and the end especially when they're like where does the look guys hold on this don't is, get mad this is more of an homage okay we we understand this is not based on any of the stories all right stop do not write us that letter put the pen down nerd they have to tell us twice yeah <laughs> at the beginning and the end in case you forgot yeah at the beginning all right guys here's what's gonna happen you're gonna get mad but don't get mad and then at the end all right guys look i know you're mad i told you you were gonna get mad put the pen down i don't want you to write us a letter it's fine um and it I mean, yeah, they, they were really apparently very worried. Um, I mean, so which tells us that toxic fandoms have always existed. And uh, maybe maybe all fandoms are at their root toxic. Hmm. Maybe we're on to something, Brett. I don't know. Yeah, look, man, you know, maybe it just they're only more uh, prevalent now because of the Internet. That's true. I mean, yeah, because the Internet basically brought all those toxic people together and gave them a voice. And so now they won't shut up. That's probably accurate. You're joking, but that's probably accurate. No, I'm, I'm, I'm only, I'm only laughing because uh, I don't want to start crying on the middle of a podcast record. I feel that in my soul right now. Right. <laughs> Was well, Lord Byron? If I laugh at any mortal thing, tis that I may not weep. And uh, oh hell yes, that is uh, that is a hundred percent how I feel about fandoms. Look guys, uh, we've said it before. We'll say it again. Don't, don't be a fan. 
just like stuff. Just like stuff. Like what you like, just don't be a dick about it. That's that's all we ask. It's not hard. It's really not. It's super easy. Why can't any of you do it? <laughs> Here's the thing. There are some people out there who are very good at it. And you guys, you're you're the all-stars. You're the real MVPs. We appreciate you very much. The rest of you, get it together. We don't have time for this. Get it together. All right. It is it's time, Brett. We've we've put it off long enough. We got to we got to get to it. I know you're very excited. It's fine. We need to do the plot in 60 seconds. That is the part of the show where uh, one of us at the behest of the coin of justice recounts the plot of young Sherlock Holmes from 1985 in 60 seconds or less, or this podcast is free. Brett, call it in the air. And it is heads, man. Not like this. <laughs> not, not today. I'm sorry. Not like it. this. All right, Brett. That means it does fall to you to recount the plot of Young Sherlock Holmes from 1985 in 60 seconds or less. I am in the process currently of putting 60 seconds on the clock for you. Uh, that's 30 minutes. I don't want to put that much time on the clock. All right, Brett. I'm ready when you are. I'm not ready at all. This one's going to be real bad. Prepare yourselves. Honestly, is it wrong of me to say I'm kind of a little excited to see what you come up with? No. Because honestly, you've come up with some really good stuff when you get behind the eight ball. Like (laughs) I would say some of our funnier moments on this podcast are you getting behind the eight ball and just like spitting stuff. Cool. That's my shtick. Let's do it then. (laughs) All right. All right, sir. I am ready when you are. And your time, she starts now. All right. So this guy gets a dart in his neck and he starts getting attacked by turkeys. And uh, he gets lost in a cabin in the woods and attacked by all of his furniture. Uh, Then you see Watson... um, fast forward to Watson as a child coming to school like Harry Potter kind of looks like Harry Potter uh, meets Sherlock Holmes and then he meets his Holmes's girlfriend Elizabeth and this crazy eccentric guy trying seconds. to build a flying machine and then some shenanigans happen and there's fencing and there's Egyptian cults killing women for some slight that this other group did and Sherlock figures it out and he's trying to convince the guy 10 seconds the guy at uh, Scotland Yard to, to solve it and he doesn't but he does eventually and they save the day but Elizabeth dies and um, Sherlock cries twice that is time yeah that all right that was garbage <laughs> honestly though I had a good time <laughs> I'm glad you did I certainly didn't. I'm sorry, buddy. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. You got a lot of it. You 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 got you got you know some pieces of it. Um, I mean, so there's not a whole lot going on in the middle there. Like it's no, just a lot of it's a lot of Sherlock deducing crap. I mean, that's that's really him. Hey, he and Watson kind of running around solving stuff. Um, the, so the the Egyptian cult Rametep, their cult of Osiris worshippers, and um, yeah, they're killing a bunch of British people. And uh, the the main guy who's doing all the killing is Sherlock's mentor. That was kind of a 
important piece of the puzzle that you guys uh, that you left out. You guys, like I'm like you're two people. Oh wait, I wasn't supposed to reveal your secret on the on the podcast. I'm sorry. I do contain multitudes, Stephen. That's true. That's true. Don't I know it? <laughs> um, but yeah, that that's kind of the big twist ending. And of course, the bigger twist ending comes at the very end of the movie, which of course we will save for later in our discussion because that's our sequel hook for this movie. Is it? What are we talking about? The post credit scene. I didn't know there was a post credit scene. Hey, all right. <laughs> yeah, that's our uh, that's our sequel hook. Is the post credit scene? So cool. you did not see the sequel. So I get to tell you what the sequel hook is. That's going to be fun. Man, this is nineteen eighty five. I didn't expect a sequel hook in nineteen eighty five. Well, why else do you think we were covering this movie? Because it's because it's a movie based on a book series. That, that's just that's a built in sequel hook. We've been through that. That's true. We have done a lot of that. Um, so okay. Point taken. But yes, there no, there is a legitimate sequel hook for a legitimate sequel. Um, I actually when I posted about this on Twitter earlier, they people were like, Oh man, I wish I wish we could have gotten more of those. And I was like, Yeah, because that ending kind of sets us up for one. Well, I put my bets down now. 20 bucks says Moriarty's in that sequel hook somewhere. Uh you're not wrong. Hey, pay up, baby. <laughs> I didn't take the bet. To be you. fair. Uh, now I'll pay you later. Um, but yeah, so uh, a lot going on in this movie. Basically, what if Sherlock Holmes was in a British boarding school is is kind of the premise here. But then also there's randomly an apropos of kind of nothing, an Egyptian death cult. Um, it's a little weird. It is. But I mean, doesn't it? That falls in line with Sherlock Holmes stories, right? Like just the sort of. Holmes did some supernatural stuff every once in a while, didn't he? He, I was he. I think he was more like a Doctor Thirteen, where he would kind of debunk the supernatural stuff. Hmm. Was was kind of his role. That that's my understanding of. Again, not the biggest Sherlock Holmes fan. Um, have done have done you know a couple seasons of the Benedict Cumberbatch Holmes, um, along with I would say maybe uh, some of the Basil Rathbone stuff because there's a ton of that. Um, but no, my 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 knowledge of Sherlock Holmes is frightfully thin uh, when put in comparison with probably a lot of others who are a lot more familiar. Um, but th- I mean, he's he's such a larger than life character. So. Sure. So he's more more falls in line with like your League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Where it's like they're fantastical, but they're not too far from they straddle the line. Sure. And of course, Sherlock Holmes does appear in the comic book series of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, not as a primary character, but saying that the villain of the piece is Moriarty. The beginning of one of the chapters is basically set at Reichenbach Falls, uh, the final showdown between Holmes and Moriarty, and uh, leads us to believe that Moriarty has, after falling off the the waterfall, uh, Holmes begins scaling up the side of the waterfall and uh, Moriarty has someone shoot him off uh, is kind of the implication there. Uh, but he doesn't die is because he shows up in some supplementary materials later in the series. But that's okay. your that's your your comic nerd corner. That's our refresher from our LXG episode, I guess. <laughs> <clears throat> Never afraid what? to give you an opportunity to talk about LXG the comic. Well, it's okay. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is the comic. LXG is the terrible movie. 
They never referred to the comic as that? That was just a movie thing? Correct. Because right. Extraordinary starts with an E, you see. Sure. The, Holly, the Hollywood, like the Hollywood early 2000s thing, you know, X games were very popular. You put an X in the title, that's badass. You know, but in the comics, most people refer to it as LOEG, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. All right. Well, today I learned. <laughs> the more you know. Hey. Hey. So, um, but no, this, I think this movie is a lot of fun. Um, it, it gives you all the Sherlock Holmes stuff that you really like. He's finding clues and deducing. And I mean, from right from the get-go, you know, this is the guy, um, like as, as the beginning of, or as the end of the movie clearly states, yes, we know Sir Arthur Conan Doyle established the meeting between Holmes and Watson as adults. We're just having fun. You losers put the pens down. Don't write us. Don't mail us bombs, please. And thank you. Uh, is kind of the the implication, but the um, the meet the initial meeting is I would imagine very similar to what you see in the comic or in the comics. Hell, in the books, <laughs> um, where he's able to piece together things about the man instantly, uh, based solely on a few casual observations. Like he's able to tell that his for his he assumes his first name is James, which is apparently an in-joke because after establishing his name as John, she uh, Arthur Conan Doyle has his wife refer to Watson as James. So from what I understand, the 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 in canon explanation for that is that Watson's middle name is Hamish, which is Scottish for James. And so James is his wife's pet name for him. Okay. Okay, sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah sure. All but right. that's that's what James, that's why he, Sherlock says James in the opening scene, but deduces his name is James based on the initial J on his luggage, uh, deduces that he's from the country based on the wear of his shoes, that he wants to be a doctor, or that his father's a doctor based on the fact that he's carrying an old medical textbook, and that he loves custard tarts because he's got custard cream on his lapels. Uh, based on the color, Sherlock deduces that it's a from a custard tart. Like that's the Sherlock Holmes that you want to see. So right away, the the adaptation is still pretty spot on and still pretty respectable. I mean, it's it's Holmes doing his Holmes thing, which is what you come to a Sherlock Holmes movie to see, I would imagine. Yeah, and they don't they don't make him overpowered. Like you know, mm-hmm. if he if he were old if he were older, you know, there there is a point, at least in a lot of other media like i haven't read the books so i don't know if he if he if he's that overpowered in the books but like you know in in pop culture sherlock holmes is an unbeatable mastermind of being able to deduce anything and everything at the drop of a hat right uh, cannot be rivaled except for you know his rival um right right but so you know i guess they do a good job of being like well look we're going to establish this is sherlock holmes but he's not going to be as good yet because he's still a kid I mean, and he's, yeah, you can tell he's still learning. Like you would imagine in the, um, the, the scene with the trophy where he's trying to find the trophy, uh, you would imagine that, you know, the actual Sherlock Holmes would just kind of look around the room and go, ah, and just pick it up and be able to tell like 10 reasons why based on things solely in the room, why he was able to figure out that that's where the trophy was. But instead he, he goes on this wild goose chase all over campus, literally at the last second determines where it is 
um, and smashes what everyone believes to be an antique vase with the trophy inside because Dudley decided to bake the trophy into a ceramic and paint it to look like the ceramic that had always been there. And again, you, you could imagine like an, an older, more established Sherlock would just be able to look around and say, that doesn't belong. Pick it out, break it. Nah, trophy. Right. And, and also on top of that, he over, over the course of this movie, uh, learns, and you know, there, there's something that's like the minor psychologist in me is like, this entire movie is real traumatic for this guy. Um, learns to not feel emotions anymore. Which is kind of Sherlock's hallmark. Like he is this kind of very stoic, emotionless character. Yeah. But like getting, getting to see it in real time is a little disturbing. Because through the voiceover, like Watson tells you, he only cries. He's only ever seen him cry twice. Mm-hmm. He cries twice over the course of this movie. So, you know, he never cries again. Never cry. Or at least not that Watson sees. At least not that Watson sees. Uh, and and then, you know, he's got his mentor, who turns out to be the main bad guy, telling mm-hmm. him to don't let your emotions overshadow everything else. And so, yeah, you, you get to see young Sherlock Holmes become incredibly traumatized over the course of an hour and 45 minutes. You really do. Like he loses um, one of his best friends in the, the school in wax flatter, uh, who is the eccentric old headmaster who they let live on campus where he constructs, he's attempting to construct an elaborate Da Vincian flying machine. Um, I'm not really sure how that fits into the Sherlock mythos at all. It's just kind of, that feels like a very Spielberg touch to me. Spielberg produced this movie. Uh, that feels very Spielberg. And of course, at the time this movie came out, it got kind of ragged for being a little too Spielbergian. Uh, this being the third of three credits uh, that Chris Columbus has as a writer for Steven Spielberg produced credits. Would you be willing to guess the other two, Brett? Uh, one is, a is one of them. Is one of them the Goonies? One of them is Goonies, which comes out earlier this year. The other is a prequel to one of my favorite films that we can never cover on this podcast. Hmm. I feel like I should know it. You really should. Honestly, that's probably the most obvious clue I could give you. Uh, directed, the movie directed by a director we have covered on this podcast before, whose filmography I notoriously love. Okay, we're narrowing it down. I say it's a prequel, but the the of course this movie came out. Uh, the movie that I'm speaking of in, for this clue came out six years before the movie. It's allegedly a prequel of. So uh, you know, I I love the sequel more than I love the original. Yeah, man, I'm drawing a blank. It's a sequel that I absolutely adore. To the extent that pretty much all of my social media is uh, taken up by images of from this film. My Twitter account was a Stan account for this sequel for a while. I'm holding up a toy now. What? Really? Like, yeah. Gremlins, baby. I didn't know that was a, all right. That was, that was literally Chris Columbus's first script. See, I didn't know that was a Chris Columbus movie. Yeah. That was his first one. 
He writes that um, Spielberg picks it up and decides he really likes it, but it's way too dark. So he brings Dante in to kind of lighten it up a little bit and it becomes the horror comedy we all know and love as Gremlins. All right, interesting. Yeah, so they got, within two years, they do three movies together and uh, best as I can tell, have never worked together since. You wonder why that is. I Maybe this movie, honestly. <laughs> Um, not this movie, not particularly well received. Uh, I will just, just as a, as a hint toward the box office later, uh, this movie generally not well received by, by audiences. Um, the, I don't know. I, I had a lot of fun with this movie. I don't really have a lot to say about this movie. I uh, just said, I really had a lot of fun with it. Like I, and I would have loved to see more. I would love to see, um, the the characters do more i would love to see them square off against uh the you know more sherlock holmes characters i would i would love to see them kind of start to fold in more of the the sherlock mythos and and i honestly i would kind of like to see nicholas rowe play sherlock holmes a little more he does play matt quote-unquote matinee sherlock in the uh recent ian mckellen film mr holmes where uh, Ian Holm or Ian McKellen plays old Sherlock Holmes, um, and he goes to a movie theater to see like a, a movie of his exploits, and Nicholas Rowe, young Sherlock Holmes from this movie, is playing Sherlock Holmes in that movie, which kind of a fun nod to this movie, honestly. Um, yeah. And apparently, the plot that he's discussing is very similar to the plot of this movie, where there the villain is using a, a hallucinogenic drug to, uh, you know, create to make people have nightmares etc interesting yeah that's a cool little uh, easter egg yeah which i don't know is, is kind of one of the major things about this movie that people talk about um but i like seeing the elements of sherlock that we all kind of know come together like the deer stalker hat that he's known for wearing belong to wax flatter um the pipe the meerschaum pipe that he carries um, was something that Watson had to buy. Why did he have to buy the pipe? I'm trying to remember why he had to buy the pipe. Uh, For information, uh, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, they were trying to find information about the the Egyptian. And so he's like, well, you got to buy something. And <laughs> Holmes is like, okay, buy something, Watson. He's like, what, like Kramer and George with the the wine at the at the restaurant. George wearing his giant coat only has 100. Oh, guess you can't break it. Sorry. Um, it's, it's that kind of a thing, but he ends up buying this Meerschaum pipe, which he can't smoke. So he ends up giving that pipe to Sherlock. And at the end, you get that classic silhouette of, uh, Nicholas Rowe holding the pipe with the deerstalker cap on as the, the carriage drives away. And you get the image that Holmes has finally kind of become crystallized as who he is. Uh, and you know, we even get the indication that by Watson at the end, I knew that I would meet him again. And I knew that he would be my friend, um, that we would have many more adventures together. Um, so, you know, you get the idea that, sure, these guys are going to meet again as adults, but who knows? Maybe there are other young Sherlock Holmes adventures to be had. Yeah, but, you know, all of those things you just said, you know what, you know, you know what sort of energy they give off. Some, some real strong solo energy. You're not wrong. 
Like, You're not wrong. I, I don't need to know where all of these pieces of clothing come from. All right. Sure. <laughs> I think this is a little better handled than Solo personally. It, it is. Because but... Solo is like, all right, nerds, you happy? Here's his freaking blaster. Okay. Look, <laughs> he calls him, look, Chewbacca's a long name to say. So he calls him Chewy. Ha ha ha. Get it? Like it all seems very like callous and and jaded when, when when it's done in Star Wars. This feels a lot more respectful and honestly a lot more fun. I have a lot more fun with this movie than I have with with Solo. Quite frankly, yeah, no, no, I, I definitely did too. I, I'd agree with that. Like you know, and I don't know. I like the movie. I think all the performances are really good. Um, you know, even though they're young child actors. Um, I'm not generally a fan of child actors, but, um, these guys are doing all right. Uh, and I would say none of them really hit it big. Although I do want to shout out Alan Cox who plays Watson in this movie, son of famed, uh, British character actor. And one of my, I would say probably top 10 favorite actors working today, period, uh, Brian Cox, the original Hannibal Lecter, um, which I thought was a fun little fact. Um, but yeah, th- I mean, this is kind of the role that most of these actors are kind of known for their roles in this film with weirdly the exception of Roger Ashton Griffiths, who plays Lestrade in this movie. Uh, he is probably best known uh, for playing Mace Tyrell in Game of Thrones. Um, so he he goes the Game of Thrones route after this and and that kind of takes over the rest of his career, but. All right. Yeah. He, uh, he actually has a really good 1985 though. He plays, uh, he's got a lot of small roles in a lot of small movies. Uh, the he's in one of my favorite films, uh, Brazil, the Terry Gilliam film, Brazil. Uh, he plays a priest in there. He's in a movie called dream child. He's in this, a movie called pirates, Roman Polanski's pirates. In fact, uh, and a movie called plenty starring Meryl Streep. So, I mean, he has, a, I mean, minor roles in all, with the exception, I would say, of this one is probably his largest role. But for for an, a, a rather small-time actor, that's, that's a pretty good year, man. And that's, like, only his second year as a film actor. So, good on you, Roger Ashton Griffiths. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Is, is what I say to that. Um, I do also want to shout out Nigel Stock, uh, who is the... Uh, he plays uh, Wax Flatter in this movie, the uh, the eccentric inventor and uncle of uh, Sherlock's love interest, um, who actually played Watson uh, in the uh, BBC television series for Sherlock Holmes. Uh, I think opposite um, Peter Cushing as Sherlock Holmes. So nice That's little, a cool nod, yeah, yeah, nice little internal connection there. Um, Really, the main reason I wanted to do this episode, though, is I kind of wanted to talk Barry Levinson a little bit um, because he has had a wild career as a director. Um, And I'm just going to go kind of work up to this point. His first movie is uh, his first theatrically released film is 1982's Diner, which is kind of a big hit and is kind of the movie that puts like a lot of young 80s stars on the map. Steve Gutenberg, Daniel Stern, Mickey Rourke, Kevin Bacon, Tim Daly, Ellen Barkin, Paul Reiser, just a phenomenal cast 
in diner kind of puts all those people on the map, makes them really recognizable household names, follows that up with the Robert Redford baseball movie, The Natural, uh, which is perhaps one of the greatest baseball movies ever made. Um, And this, this movie right here is his big follow-up to The Natural. Like this is his third movie and the first two are kind of mammoth hits. This is, and he's teaming with Spielberg. So you're like, there's no way this thing's going to miss. And then it does like really bad. He recovers two years later with good morning Vietnam. And then he directs rain man, which wins him his Oscar. He follows that up with Avalon and Bugsy. And then 1992 comes. And 1992 is the year the Barry Levinson thing bursts. Because he comes out with, this is his passion project. Like the movie he has wanted to make for his entire career. It's his blank, just his big old blank check. It stars his his former uh, star Robin Williams as the main role. Uh, the trailer for this movie is literally uh, Robin Williams in a field walking out and talking directly to the camera and saying, I want to tell you about this new Barry Levinson movie that I'm in. Like that's the trailer for this movie. It's, it is such a huge hubristic swing. Brett, do you know what movie I'm talking about? I don't it is 1992. Okay. It also stars. I'm just going to give you some, some of the cast members. So you know how stacked this cast is. Michael Gambon, Joan Cusack, Robin Wright, LL Cool J, Donald O'Connor, Arthur Mallet, Jack Warden, the great Debbie Mazur, and a before he's famous Jamie Foxx. So it's toys then. It is absolutely Barry Levinson's toys. Uh, And it is such a colossal flop in large part because Robin Williams of Robin Williams's other 1992 movie, which he actually requested that his name be left off of, at least in terms of the marketing materials and the studio that put that movie out decided Uh, No way. We're going to, in fact, make you the center of the marketing for this movie. Uh, Do you know what that movie was? That Aladdin? That was Aladdin. 1992's Aladdin was the clear winner. And in fact, it was because of this movie. Like Robin Williams did not want Aladdin to cannibalize the audience for toys. And it totally did. So, yeah, and would keep Robin Williams come from coming back and doing the Aladdin sequel because correct. he was so pissed off at Disney. Mm, rightly so. And uh, I mean, this movie came or Aladdin came out November November 25th, so Thanksgiving weekend. This came out, I think, three weeks later, the week before Christmas, and still wasn't able to recover. Like, oof. Big damn oof. Um but yeah, that's that's the 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 big Barry Levinson thing I wanted to talk because I'm fascinated by the arc of his career leading up to toys. Um, that includes like him winning an Oscar and like making some really solid, really fantastic movies. Uh, and then 
after that movie just kind of getting he did he has made a few good movies since then wag the dog is pretty good i've heard sleepers is pretty good i've not actually seen it um but most of the rest of his career kind of doesn't exist uh he makes a couple more movies with uh robin williams including man of the year um but yeah for the uh the bill murray film rock the casbah um like just kind of nothing after after toy toys is kind of his big his big crash and burn isn't that always the story with people we talk about on this podcast it happens a lot my friend it happens a lot and i always and i think one of the reasons why we end up talking about it a lot is at least for me i find that kind of arc incredibly fascinating personally like i i just am endlessly fascinated by these guys who take these massive swings that just don't end up paying off at all kind of like the anti-christopher nolan it seems like how no matter how hard he swings he's always going to knock it out of the park and then you get a guy like barry levinson who's like this is my big swing this is my big at bat this is the one i've been waiting for and he strikes out like it just amazing incredible yeah is is interesting that Actors and directors both seem to have a few different kinds of arcs they can take, right? They can mm-hmm. always be good. Those are rare. Very. They can, you know, have a God run and one bad movie destroys their career. Mm-hmm. Or you can have some actors or directors in Tim Burton's case, who just sort of like, I'm kind of out of ideas. I don't really want to do it anymore, but I'll keep doing it because people keep paying me money people keep paying me um but you know i guess in actor's case some actor's case they're more likely to just like retire but you know man hollywood hollywood's messed up isn't it it is talk about hollywood's messed up but i'm still excited to go back to the movies (laughs) the movies ah the movies we love the movies have you have you seen that snl skit though no, I haven't. Which one are you talking about? With the guy playing Vin Diesel talking to doing a commercial for AMC. Uh, no, he's, I, he's talking about the movies. I the haven't. Pop, that sounds the hilarious. popcorn, the candy, the pretzels, that other concession stand that's never open. The <laughs> movies. That sounds awesome. And that's of course, very funny. Just in time for Fast Nine, yes. a movie I cannot wait to see in theaters. Sure, sure. You haven't seen any of the Fast and Furious movies yet, so... No, I haven't. And I'm definitely not going to go to a movie theater yet. So. I mean, that's fair. That's fine. Um, I, I am, as of this Saturday, I will be my I will be fully inoculated, so... I might. <laughs> I, I fully am, as of uh, tomorrow. Okay. At the time of this recording. So. Right. Which will be today, as of the release of this recording. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so a little peek behind the curtain. We had some issues. We're recording this the day before it drops, ladies and gentlemen. So this is enjoy. literally the closest, the, the shortest amount of time between, like, as of right now, this episode will drop in less than three hours. Yeah, so appreciate the commitment we have to you. We love get, you guys. To get an episode out on time, all right? That's right. That's what This is what we do for you guys. So I don't and, even know if you appreciate it, but I hope you do. Because honestly... We're, we were having fun regardless. We hope you are too. Yeah. This might be our most rambling and incoherent episode yet, but damn it, I'm having fun. <laughs> Look, man, it's fine. 
They love it. Like, comment, and subscribe, please. Yes, please, and thank you. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you. Five stars yeah. preferred. Indeed. Mention, mention this episode in your review if you think this is the greatest thing we've ever done. <laughs> so, Steven, speaking of the movies, how, uh, the did this, movies. how did this do with the box office? Box office, man. So this opens on December 6th, 1985, uh, it opens in fifth place um, behind uh, a, a string of other films, both ones that you've heard of and ones that you haven't. Um, number one has been number one for two weeks. It has coincidentally been out for two weeks. It is the reason we know who won the Cold War, Brett. All right. Would you care to take a guess as to what movie helped us realize that we, America, had won the Cold War and not those pesky, pesky Russians? Uh, the Hunt for Red October. No, that came out in 1990. No, five years uh, too early. This is this is a movie that features a, a, an elaborate scene with James Brown singing Living in America while Carl Weathers dances around in an American flag outfit. Is it Rocky? Which one? Two. Four. Wow, really? They'd made four of them by 1985? Yeah, dude. The first one came out in like the late 70s. I, no I think idea. 79, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I might be mistaken. Hold on. I'm going to, people are going to get pissed if I'm wrong, and I'm probably wrong. I'm like, I'm too. Okay. Like 1976, 50%. nerds. Put your pens down. <laughs> Don't write us emails, okay? I've made the correction. Comes out December 3rd, 1976. So within nine years, yeah, nine years, four movies, it's not a bad run. No, yeah, I had no idea the first one came out in the late 70s, but yeah, I'm, I'm two for two on guessing movies this episode. Uh, I mean, no, you because you guessed uh, you guessed both Toys and Aladdin, so. Yeah, but I failed to guess Gremlins. Sure. And this one, even though I feel like Gremlins was a lot more obvious, so it definitely was. But it so is... you're two for four. You're two for four. You're fifty percent. Okay, all right. Uh, the next one uh, is a comedy starring uh, two very prominent uh, comedians of the 1980s. One of whom appears in your favorite film of all time, and it is directed by a prominent comedy director. John Landis is the director. Chevy Chase is one of the stars. Dan Aykroyd, the other. In its first weekend, in number two, it is Spies Like Us. Hey, all right. I've never seen it. Uh, I saw part of it, in, ironically, in middle school. The first place I saw this movie. Huh. Weird. Both opening this week. Uh, at the box office in third place up from 18 the week before. So it must've be a wide release this weekend um, in its third weekend is a movie called white nights Nights spelled N I G H T S without the K um, the premise of this movie. I have to read you the premise. A Russian American ballet dancers airplane is forced to land in the USSR where he's heavy air quotes repatriated. He stays with an American man married to a Russian Will the American help him flee USSR? It's a Taylor Hackford movie. Uh, the the guy who gave us um, oh um, uh, come Heller High Water, Heller High Water, the movie Heller High Water, which is a good movie. Really liked Heller High Water. Um, 
but it stars Mikhail Barishnikov and Gregory Hines. Uh, also, Helen Mirren and Geraldine Page, Isabella Rossellini and John Glover, and the great William Hootkins, Mr. Jack Porkins' top men himself, William Hootkins. Okay. Yeah. Um, have never heard of this movie. Kind of want to see this movie. Sounds insane, this movie. It does. Uh, kind of excited to potentially see this movie. Uh, in fourth place, uh, Dudley Moore and John Lithgow in Santa Claus, colon, the movie. Uh, down from number two in its second weekend. It has made $10 million so far. Uh, fifth place is Young Sherlock Holmes. It opens to $2.5 million. Uh, rounding out the top 10, you've got a Disney film called One Magic Christmas. Uh, the canon films King Solomon's Mines, starring uh, Richard Chamberlain and a young Sharon Stone. Uh, a movie that sadly got a sequel, so we will never be able to talk about it on this podcast. Oh, no. Curses. In eighth place, in its 23rd week, down from number five the week before, uh, a little movie called Back to the Future. Uh, have you ever seen this film, Brett? No, it's not ringing any bells. In the 23 weeks it has been in theaters, it has grossed $185 million. Uh, would go on to spawn two sequels and put a young director named Robert Zemeckis on the map. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, number in ninth well, place. Hold, is... hold on. Hold on. Hold on. We have to, we have to get this out into the uh, podcast sphere. We have to let people know. Okay. I don't know if we've mentioned this before. We might've me and you agree on this mm -hmm. hot take. Oh, I think we have put this out here before, but let's put it out here again. Back to the Future 3, better than Back to the Future 2. Correct. Don't at me. Correct. You, They can't at you, but don't at me either, even yeah. though you absolutely can, but you shouldn't. Because again, don't be a fan. Just like stuff. Also, yeah. like what you like, don't be a dick about it. Yeah. Please and thank you. Um, yes, you are correct. That is the correct opinion. In fact, the correct ranking of those films is one, three, two. Indeed. Yep, there you go. Yep, correct. We have spoken. Um, that is the official stance of the Disenfranchised Podcast, all rights reserved. Um, the uh, ninth place, a movie called Jagged Edge. Ooh, Jagged Edge, the edge, so jagged. Uh, and then in 10th place is a uh, an early Jim Carrey movie called Once Bitten. Oh, uh, yeah, his vampire movie. Yeah. He's very good as it's, it's, well. It that was, it's not very good. I was going to say you know. very good, huh? No, I mean, it's good. It's funny. It's a good time. I mean, what else could you want out of a comedy? Yeah, I mean, for, you know, mid-80s vampire flick mm -hmm. with Jim Gary in it before sure. he was Jim Gary. Right, before his wild and crazy 1994, where he starts off making, I would say, you know, uh, hundred like maybe hundred thousand or something on Ace Ventura going on to make like 10 million or so by the end of the year with dumb and dumber, like crazy year. Or is that yeah. 93? I don't know. I always get 93 and 94 mixed up as regular listeners of this podcast might remember. 
Uh, I also need to shout out number 11 because it is one of my favorite films by a director that I have become very much a fan of uh, in the last couple of years, uh, To Live and Die in L.A., uh, the William Friedkin film starring, um, uh, oh, shoot, William Peterson from uh, CSI fame. Uh, Really phenomenal movie. Um, Really, really like that. It's Willem Dafoe's in there. Um, Great movie. To Live and Die in L.A. Seriously, great movie. Check it out. It's number 11 this week, down from number eight in its sixth week. Uh, it has grossed $14 million so far. Also, not a big hit. Speaking of movies that are not a big hit, uh, this movie uh, makes uh, or costs about $18 million, uh, And the worldwide box office, or I should say the domestic box office, because I don't think this was a player worldwide, $19.7 million. So we're not getting sequels to this movie, unfortunately. Um, no matter how big of a player it might be on home video, sadly. Yeah, which is kind of surprising. I mean, this is this is like prime Spielberg time. This is, I mean, this is probably this isn't prime Chris Columbus time, but we're getting. No, there. we're 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 a couple years off from home. We're about five years, I think, off from Home Alone, uh, which is like his first one of his first films as a director, and that's where he really let's let's do a little Chris Columbus sidebar, I guess. Um, that's probably something we should do on an episode on young Sherlock Holmes. Let's take a pause for the cause. Talk Chris Columbus. Uh, so he is as a writer. Again, his first credit is uh, he has a credit on a 1984 film called Reckless, but his first script was Gremlins. Uh, then he does Goonies, Gremlins, and Young Sherlock Holmes in two years, basically 84, 85. Um, Heartbreak Hotel in 88 little, a future potential future episode Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland in 1989 um, at that point he's more or less done writing he, he writes Only the Lonely and Nine Months and Christmas with the Cranks are his last three screenplays everything else it's credits on or and i'm sorry the christmas chronicles part two which is the uh kurt russell is santa claus and goldie hahn is mrs claus movie um but he directs i'm sorry his first film is not home alone it's actually adventures in babysitting from 1987 followed up by heartbreak hotel and then of course prime chris columbus time starts in 1990 when he directs a little john hughes film called home alone uh, and then he goes on a run, Only the Lonely, Home Alone 2, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, Nine Months, Stepmom, Bicentennial Man, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. And then he follows it up with his big blank check, 2005's Rent, which why the hell is Chris Columbus directing Rent? I have no freaking idea. He then directs I Love You Best, Beth Cooper. Percy Jackson and the Olympians colon the lightning thief, another movie we should cover on this podcast, but it got a sequel. So we can't, it's better than the sequel though, man. I guess uh, he directs the Adam Sandler film pixels. And then the sequel to the surprise Netflix, Kurt Russell is Santa Claus hit the Christmas Chronicles, the Christmas Chronicles colon part two. Uh, he is also, uh, he is also supposed to be the director of the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. Interesting. 
Yeah. Which has so, sort of already been made. Um, right. That Nicolas Cage film, right? That one, yes. There's also one uh, starring the Banana Splits. Yes, that's one we could, maybe if we fudge the rules a little bit, cover on this podcast one day as well. Yeah, because they couldn't get they couldn't get the Five Nights at Freddy's license, so they had to swap it out for the banana splits. A license that they could, that they were able to come by relatively easily, uh, and then Willy's Wonderland is the Nicolas Cage film that came out earlier this year that I was that I have heard is p- supposed to be pretty good. Yeah, but so uh, a couple yeah. of Five Nights at Freddy's knockoffs there. Yeah, which makes sense. It's uh, Five Nights at Freddy's was and still. M- pretty much is a phenomenon so i'll take your word for it i i would have no idea look man it's it's a big horror franchise video game video game wise have they made more than one dude there's like six of them i don't play video games so yeah no there's something regular listeners to this podcast will remember (laughs) so okay then welcome to brett's video game corner we're gonna talk about five nights at freddy's for a minute um, this is such a random episode. I love <laughs> it so much. Yeah, yeah, look, you guys, you guys want to know about the Five Nights at Freddy's franchise, don't you? I mean, we might cover the Banana Splits movie one of these days. Should we cover that then? I mean, honestly, probably. Okay, we've been rambling too much as it is. Here's the thing: we've only been doing this for like an hour, though. That's the fun. That's the funny part is we've really only been recording for about an hour. Sure. Well, look, it is, you know, it'll be a short episode. Um, well, that's fine. Well, because we'll cut most of this out, probably. Nah, not at all. I got to get the. We, oh. we, look, we're doing this the night before, Stephen. I'm going to. Two and a half cut, hours. Two and a half hours to air. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut the beginning. I'm going to cut the end and I'm going to throw it up. <laughs> Put in some music cues. Just, I don't know. Have fun, nerds. Um, the tom- tomatometer score for this film is 64%. Uh, which is pretty good. Young Sherlock Holmes is a charming, if unnecessarily flashy, take on the master sleuth. Is the critics' consensus on that? Uh, the Metascore is 65, based on 15 critic reviews. And the average letterbox score is 3.2. Brett, how did you rate Young Sherlock Holmes? I gave it a three. You gave it a three? Three out of five? A little bit higher than middle of the road. Mm-hmm. Whereas I went a little bit higher than that, and I gave it a three and a half. Yeah, so so our opinions are right in line with Letterboxd. Yeah, right. Honestly, kind of right, right there with the the critics' consensus on this. So, you know, I I thought it's a fun movie. I still think it's a fun movie. If it if it ever comes out on Blu-ray, I will probably buy it. Uh, cause it's fun. It's a movie that I would like to watch again. Uh, and it's streaming on like two or three different platforms right now. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on Hulu as of the time of this recording, which is again a day before this episode will release. <laughs> so uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a good movie. I highly recommend you check it out. If if you are a fan of this movie, hit us up on uh, Twitter at DisenfranchPod. Uh, we're also on uh, Instagram and Facebook as well. Hit us up in any of those locations. We'd love to hear from you, uh, particularly what you love about young Sherlock Holmes. Uh, you can also send us an email, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Uh, if you send in a, a, a letter, who knows? We might read it on the air. And if you suggest a movie, who knows? We might cover it before the end of the year. Who's to say? Uh, we'll try anyway. Um, 
So, I mean, yeah, we've, we've got some, some stuff coming up that honestly, I think next month is, is a really exciting month. We've got some really good episodes planned for next month and uh, I mean, I'm excited. So yeah, uh, this is, uh, I guess the end of the episode I've, I've done the socials. So yeah, uh, you can find me on social media on Twitter, uh, letterboxd and Instagram at Chewy Walrus. Brett, such as you are on social media, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at Gunslinger Fire and on Instagram at sus underscore warlock. All right. Well, until next week when we uh, kick off uh, the month of June, uh, I am Stephen Foxworthy uh, for my co-host Brett Wright and myself. Until next time. Oh, Brett, I just swallowed a sentient cream puff. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that is terrifying. <laughs> Was it delicious though? Kinda. Was it tasty? A little bit. But it had eyes. <laughs> <laughs>